Welcome to Skeptico, where we explore controversial science and spirituality. Today, we welcome Diane Collins to Skeptico to talk about her book, Do You Quantum Think? and her quantum thinking system. We're going to talk about that. You can find that at quantumthink.com, which, you know, I just found Diane kind of redirects to diannecollins.com. But either way, you will find it and you will find Diane. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for joining me on Skeptico. Thank you, Alex. I was looking forward to it. I am too, because, you know, I did read the book. And there's so many things in the book that I really like, especially on a personal level. And I definitely resonate with uh, from a spirituality standpoint. And we had this very nice email exchange back and forth. You originally contacted me, I think, because you found my interview with uh, Dr. Doug Matsky, Quantum Doug, on quantum computers and extended consciousness. So we had this email exchange back and forth. Right. And and then, so we're going to talk about quantum think, but I'm going to keep coming back to this angle that I told you in the initial email, which is, are you stretching the metaphor a little bit when it comes to quantum physics and what the implications of that are for consciousness and spirituality? So that's going to continue to be in the back of my head, but let's talk about this really interesting book that I think a lot of people have enjoyed. It's a bestseller, award winner, and I think a lot of people would enjoy getting your take on it. So tell us, tell us what it means to do you do you quantum think? Diane? Well, I do want to address what you're talking about. You know, this idea of, by the way, that title, "Do You Quantum Think," <laughs> is to remind people: Are you quantum thinking right now? And let's just say that. My work is not about science. Quantum think is, I call it a system of thinking, 21 principles, which I call distinctions in thinking that is based in the, uh, the merging of science and spirituality in, you know, beyond scientific materialism, which I know that you have spoken about with so many of your guests and kind of where the context where you come from. So what's the difference of quantum think? Who am I, you know, if I, I'm not a scientist, I don't pretend to be, um, although I am scientifically minded and study the science quite extensively. Well, quantum, what I've discovered is that Though we imagine we think freely and independently, we all like to think of ourselves that way. Actually, we don't. And that we're in a universe of systems and that thinking takes place as a system. Later, I learned that David Bohm, the late great quantum physicist, also uh, thought of thinking that way. And that the system is based in the assumptions, beliefs, ideas of the prevailing worldview. And um, this came across to me. I was in a conversation uh, with a, my friend, and I call him my mentor in quantum physics, <laughs> self-appointed Dr. Fred Allen Wolf. And we were in a conversation about this, and he wrote the book, Taking the Quantum Leap. 
around 1982, I believe it was. We should mention he wrote a very nice forward to your book, Do You Quantum Think, as well. Yes, he did. And at first he was like, you know, I went to the Physics of, of Consciousness uh, conference at the Edgar Casey Foundation years ago because he was going to be there and Peter Russell, and I did hear Jim Tucker, by the way, speaking and give his whole presentation about uh, reincarnation and the uh, proofs of it. But anyway, I just... <laughs> I digress. So I said to Fred, well, listen, Fred, I want you to write the forward for my book. He goes, well, I don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? He goes, well, you better write a good book. So then I sent it to him when I had the manuscript. And um, he said, I don't know if I have time. Anyway, half a day later, he wrote it. So I was very... I'm very appreciative, and um, I think he's one of the really great thinkers and minds on the planet at this time, and he's written like about 15 books. But anyway, this was the book that he was trying to explain to lay people the difference between scientific materialism and the quantum age from Einstein and forward. So we were going to, we were working, actually, my dream was always to create a television series that would elevate consciousness as you watch, because that has been my lifelong quest. How do the, the interest in evolution of consciousness, how do we have it happen? Not just know the wisdom or, you know, figure it out or know all the principles, but how do we actually live it? So that's what my work is about. My work is about having us go from knowing it conceptually to actually living it to get to have the results of it. So if you want to hear, I'll, I'll just finish the little story on Fred. And so I was introduced, let's just say I connected with this independent TV producer at the time. And he was very interested in uh, what I was doing, like trying to combine quantum ideas with spiritual wisdom and bring it to like a higher level so that it would become mainstream. And this was many years ago. And at the time I was writing all these different uh, TV projects on paper. And uh, he said, well, do you mind if I interview you? He was a great interviewer. He said, do you mind if I interview some of these physicists? I said, be my guest. And one of them was Fred. And anyway, so the three of us got together at his this producer's house in Connecticut. And that's how the whole thing it was just, we were there for a week. And he taught me that Scientists, when they make a discovery, they invent language to name it, Max Planck, right? Quantum, when he discovers energy doesn't move in a smooth, continuous fashion, but bursts in packets of energy called what? Leap. Well, it came to be called leaps. He called it jumps, I think. But anyway, and my revelation was wait a minute. It's not one thought at a time. It's not one terminology. It's the whole system. And so I was getting frustrated, Alex, and I thought, 
what, you know, I had been studying spiritual, different lineages from East to West. I was a philosophy, you know, that was my topic in school because at the time they didn't have evolution of consciousness studies. And so I picked what I thought was the closest. And I studied psychology and all these other things and went into transformational seminars and, you know, sweat lodges and, you know, you name it. And I was on, you know, seeking how do we get this rather, uh, not to make anyone wrong, but low consciousness world to go to the next level. And so I thought, well, if I could. What if I could put this all together, you know? And I read Fritjof Capra at the time, um, and I thought, oh, here, this is good. I could use the science to, con- instead of talking about spirituality and all these esoteric kind of uh, very controversial because of religion topics, I could use the science. Science is that in our culture. I think on your show, too, I have to tell you something scientifically also about plant things. But anyway, that's what happened. I thought, what if I could put this all together? And instead of, you know, get people very quickly, okay, here are the quantum principles in as I know them. How do they apply to thinking? That's my work. How do the principles of science shape the way we think and not just one at a time but at a whole system and that's what quantum think the system of thinking is so it's comprised of how do i get this reemergence science and spirituality as you know we're never separate but they got distinguished separately, I don't know, in the 17th century, maybe to, to uh, dissociate from the church, and clergy, whatever. But the point being, how do we show that the quantum science is now verifying what the spiritual wisdom common to all mastery traditions, the universal wisdom? has been and not only just show it and talk about it and explain it and everybody's done that you know now it's like you know quantum this quantum that when i first was doing it many more than two decades ago uh everyone was like what quantum what and now it's quantum everything and that's why i think you're saying aren't you stretching the metaphor i'm saying you're stretching the metaphor because look if you go back and listen to the interview with doug right Doug right. Matsky is a brilliant guy, and he's a PhD in quantum physics. He knows what he's talking about. And you've talked to some people who know what they're talking about. But what's particularly interesting about Doug is he also has his computer science background. But, but the whole thing is you're kind of burying in there. Uh, you're, you're trying to gloss over everything with it, that everyone kind of agrees, and there's these quantum principles. The, the, the whole tension in quantum physics, which I think is super interesting and relevant to spirituality. And that's the tension between Max Planck, who sees the double slit experiment and says, oh, I get it. Consciousness is fundamental. And the other Nobel Prize winner, Richard Feynman, who says, shut up and calculate. And what a lot of people don't appreciate about quantum physics, but Doug did when he came on the show, 
is that the precision of the equations are like unbelievably uh, precise, but unbelievably right, solid. Yeah, hey, well, but they're difficult to explain to somebody. I mean, you it's not like you can go out and use these uh, equations, you know, plug them into your Excel spreadsheet. Extremely, extremely complex. So the, the, the Feynman question is still relevant, and there's some people who are not convinced, right? So Feynman is shut up and calculate, which means go build the iPhone, go build the satellites, go build the right. other one, but don't engage in this mystic bullshit about, uh, you know, spooky action as a, at a distance, which is what Einstein didn't like. So right. to be the mystic, to be Max Planck and say consciousness is fundamental, that is a different path. And that's why I sent you the interview with like uh, Bernardo Castro. So if you want to talk about the difference between, I don't know, uh, idealism and uh, materialism, you know, then that's another real discussion. But it does kind of peeve me, like I told you from the beginning, to kind of just paper this over that, oh, this is quantum stuff, guys. And it relates to, like in your book, I love Cahill Gibran. Uh, ex extremely uh, meaningful to me. What the hell does Cahill Gibran have to do with quantum physics? I, okay. I don't see any connection. Let me push back on what you're saying right now a little bit. Okay, because first of all, I'm not talking about science, okay? And I was a little concerned about this. I said, you know, Fred, do I have to be worried? You know, where's my three PhDs? But he said, no, because that isn't what you're doing. So I uh, perhaps I haven't said it clearly to get it across to you, Alex. And a lot of people have told me after they read my book, you know, this is the missing, the missing piece, the missing link, because what I'm talking about, I'm not questioning quantum physics. Does it prove or disprove realism? Well, actually, I think it does. You I know, think it I, does I, too, but I think it does I'm too, but the that's the issue. Let me finish. But that wait, is let me the finish. issue. No, no, you're, I want you to really hear what I'm saying. And as we have one of the practices in quantum thing is to listen from not knowing, which means, you know, you have like you're you have such a breadth of knowledge, by the way, breadth breads, uh, that I have like tremendous respect. I mean, I just love your thinking. Uh and the depth at which you investigate and want to talk about these things. So let me just say that as an acknowledgement. But I, what I'm saying is that this whole, uh, I'll call it a vortex, vortex of thought, okay, is derived, the way we think is derived from the assumptions of the prevailing world view. Now, why I heard Dean Radin say it on one of your interview the other day, I've been listening to a lot of your stuff, that, you know, all, when interviewed about quantum science and, you know, what does consciousness have any, any, anything to do with it that only 20 or 22%, I forget exactly what he said. Why? And that's really increased. Why do such a small number of scientists, including, and I agree with what you say about Neil deGrasse, because they are not quantum thinkers. And what does that mean? They are looking 
even the people who are the quantum scientists, I'm going to say something, you know, let's not get a bunch of comments like she's an idiot because I'm not. But even I call it looking new worldview from an old worldview until you literally take a literal quantum leap in consciousness and look and live from the principles, not act them to see, you know, what are they proving or disproving? That's not my work. That's the work of science. I've already accepted that quantum science, quantum mechanics, and so many names, quantum theory, I don't know all the mathematics, but I do know the success of the equation, that these are principles that we need to proactively start to look and think from. So why? because why do we, why? Why do, why? let me just say why? Because we're thinking for the most part from the assumptions of the scientific materialism. But I kept trying to engage with you in the email and I kept uh, all these over and over again. And I kept feeling like we're kind of talking past each other. And I feel like we're kind of talking past each other right, again. I'm glad you brought up Dr. Dean Radin. Dean Radin is fantastic. Wrote, right, wrote the book, The Conscious Universe, and really kind of kicked off this whole thing when he did because he showed experimentally, particularly with parapsychology as it relates to quantum physics, right? So he did the double slit experiment right? The double slit experiment, everyone remember, that's what we're really talking about when it comes down to experimentally and waves or particles. And he said, well, screw all that. We have the means now to, I can create a little photon beam right on my desk here and I'll put a meditator in the other room and let's see if he can affect the photon beam, which is a recreation of the experiment that they did way back a hundred years ago. Right. But, he says, mm -hmm. but he says, boom, here it is. You know, let's end any debate about whether consciousness is real, whether consciousness is an illusion, and a debate about whether consciousness can affect this physical world. But here's the point, Diane. If you listen to my interview with Dean, he is now trying to create people with a hive mind so that they, this to me is not a spiritually enlightened view. It's this. No, it isn't. And this is why I'm So, so that is the, but here's the point then. Yeah. So how are we, how are we going to mix these things together? So on one well, hand, we just got done saying, oh, Dean Braden, he's enlightened. He understands consciousness. He's totally post-materialism. No, I, I did not say he was enlightened. He's post-materialism. He's no, post-materialism. I see, Definitely. and it doesn't have to be a label. What I see and why I think we're, I don't know whether you actually got what I was saying, is that if we're still thinking from one of the uh, things, one of the ways that we've been conditioned by scientific materialism as a system is to uh, manipulate, okay? So the push-pull and cause and effect, which, okay, it's not a trading in one for another. It's an expansion. And I think I don't remember who I but was But that's not Raiden. But that's no, no. But what I'm saying about Gene Raiden, when I heard that and you asked me, you know, let's discuss this. And I think it's very important because um, with everything that's happening in technology, and I try to stay up on it, my husband and I are partners in business and in all things. And for the last five years, we've been attending Peter Giamondis's, uh High Tech Entrepreneurial 
not that we, we're not in tech, but we go to his conference every year. It's from the time we're recording this in a few weeks. And I'm very interested because he's having a whole day on AI. And the thing about Peter Diamandis is he gets the most cutting edge people in technology, in um, how technology is being used. You know, he knows the highest level people, and I'm not going to name drop, but he knows them. And in uh, medicine and longevity and all these things. So uh, I have been aware of this for a long time before chat GPT and everything where it's becoming now more publicly known. And we we're always have been, uh, I thought about it, in a hive mind, right? Because we're already uh, giving, uh, I heard Elon Musk mention it the other day. I said, well, yeah, that's hive mind because we're already giving all of our information to Google, you know, Twitter, all the, all the platforms. And this is making a different type of collective mind, this technology. But getting back to the problem at hand with technology, which comes back to quantum thinking, which I will lead it back to, is that the ethics question. So you can have all the advanced technology. You can have all the advanced weaponry, you know, from, you know, the whatever, the revolution from the 17th century up until drones and all these things. But if you don't have enlightened, awakened beings who can think beyond their automatic beliefs and conditioning of the culture and whatever thing they were brought up in. How would you decide that? Well, that's a whole nother thing in the ethics. But one thing, the other point of it is are you going to anybody who happens to be depressed? And we know there's a great youth depression and anxiety going on. And, you know, with all the changes in the world. And the that, changes. To, okay. Well, <laughs> craziness. But the point being, that would not, in my view, I can only give the view, right? That would not be a good use of what he's doing. Because that does not get to the source. And this is part of the problem that's going on now. And even in a lot of the conversations that I've listened to with your absolutely, you know, brilliant, knowledgeable, accomplished, credentialed guests, that it's looking at, you know, we have to make a, a, a distinction between a contextual conversation and content. Are we pushing the pieces around on the chessboard? Are we getting a new game? So, in this case, we have to, if you're only dealing with effects, okay, if he fixes somebody's uh, depression temporarily, we don't know how long it would be because he gave the DNA jab and that re, re, you know, redid your, your uh, brain chemistry, that is not getting to the source of the problem. Why in this culture in are we experiencing such a great deal and growing of anxiety and depression. Bringing it back to quantum physics, bringing it back to why we're introducing quantumness into this whole thing. That's my pushback with you. That's what peeves me. And you can tell that it does. Is Dean Braden 
is the yeah. ultimate guy for quantum physics in a way, even though he's not a quantum physicist, because he took that double slit experiment and he set it up in his lab in a way that's undeniably affirming the fact that this is about consciousness. This isn't okay. about measurement. Hold on. This isn't about observer effect bullshit. It's like, bam, it's, it's exactly what Max Planck said all along. Braden proves that experimentally, and he's a good scientist in terms of proving stuff. But the problem that we're into and where your book falls apart because it doesn't hold to one line or another, it doesn't hold to either science and try and be scientifically rigorous, or it doesn't ju just give up on science and just say, okay, this is how I feel. It's these little wisdom traditions. Doesn't this make sense to you? Which I can stomach, but I can't take it when we try and tie that back to uh, science. And I think that's why Raiden is such a perfect example. Right. And that's exactly my point, which I'm completely aligned with you on. The fact that he can prove the science, okay, definitively in whatever ways he's done it over the years. And, you know, I appreciate all that he's done. Does not make him an enlightened thinker. It does not make him, you know, like I used the line, I did an Instagram post. Can you think beyond your own beliefs? So in, you know, what my book is not for that. And by the way, my book is not just, so. Oh, let me write a book about, you know, quantum thinking and make it up. My book is based on real life. If you want to call it anecdotal, fine. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that my husband, Alan Collins, Master Quantum Think Coach, we have worked delivering and presenting quantum thinking in major corporations, in agencies of the United States government, <laughs> believe it or not, and I'll tell you one story about it because that's where the science came. But, and it's the point is, and getting back to the word efficacy, it's working. And so if I say, can you go from the insidious either or automatic mechanical, scientific, you know, classical, mechanical worldview. In many ways, we became mechanical too. And that has to do with a uh, phase of evolution that we're in. That's another topic. But it, if you can look at that in many ways, we're mechanical too. So we have, our clients go beyond the either or. They go beyond their automatic conclusions and assumptions and, oh, you know, here's a new idea. No, we can't do that because we tried it. Or, you know, Dean Rayton did that. You're doing it right now, by the way. We call it a least action pathway. The way the energy goes because it's been that route before, the thought or the emotion. And we don't give it any meaning. It's just like I call it a vestige of classical mechanical world conditioned thinking. So when you can see that, when you can see the limits of your own thinking, then you go beyond it. So we have for 20 plus years been working with leaders in these mostly uh, major corporations. We've also worked with entrepreneurs and whatever. And it's working in people's lives. That's what I, that's my work. My work is not to prove is Dean, is Dean enlightened or not. I mean, I have my opinions. Obviously, I call it doing new world work from an old world view, 
Like if he was the quantum thinking, he'd be saying what I'm saying right now, Alex, which is if you want to manipulate someone's brain chemistry using DNA editing to get rid of depression, you're not getting rid of depression. All you're doing is you're getting, you're shifting the effect of that depressed state, which is, you know, you can't say that that's bad, but it doesn't get to the source. And that's where we need to be looking in this society. What is going on now? Whether it's, you know, the bringing of AI to make it, you know, everybody's going to have their own personal AI Jarvis robot or whatever. What's wrong with that? Nothing. But we have to know how to use it because if you have an basically a lower evolved from a, you know, I don't want to judge because I have to look at myself, you know, where do, where do I question my own beliefs? And I do it all the time, you know, because I've got my husband saying, well, you know, I, you sound arrogant, you know, this know-it-all, but it's that I have to question myself too, Alex. But we need to, as a society, and this is really what I'm, my main interest is, and I'm doing, I'm trying to do it now, finally getting to where I'm working on with a producer on a pitch Bible of a sitcom series that is about these topics. So you can do it through entertainment, I think, in a very big way. You know, when you look at all the old shows, Archie Bunker and all those. And so I'm working on that now. But it's like, if we look in society and you look at, you know, uh, Bernard Castro, I really enjoyed the conversation. And, you know, being (laughs) a philosophy major, I really appreciated, you know, what he was talking about, idealism and really trying to teach people. Do you think the Netherlands is going underwater? Do I think the Netherlands? Well, you know, that's a big topic also because... How does quantum think have sort through that? Well, I... Do you know the uh, work of Greg Brayton? Do you know Greg Brayton? Did you ever have him on? A little bit. I have not had him on there. Okay. You should have him on because uh, he's one of my favorite scientists, uh, consciousness <laughs> thinkers. I call the consciousness crowd. But he is a geologist by, you know, as a scientist, and he also worked in high tech. And, and he's been, you know, I'm not going to get into Greg Braden, but he's a genius in his own right. And he, I listened to something that he was talking about climate change, a few of his things on YouTube. And he's saying that, for example, the CO2 levels uh, that the World Economic Forum, they have limited information. So if you're quantum thinking, you're looking from the big picture. You're looking from how the, the universe is holographic. Oh, isn't that a great idea? And are we all projecting, you know, reality? And there's not, you know, there's nothing material. Well, yeah, I love that idea too. It's, you know, titillating and it's, I think, true, you know, it's a big holographic projection. And, and we're also living, it's a both and, we're also living in the material outflow of all this. So when he, so you look from the whole system. 
So what he's saying is if you look not just over, you know, the past or the CO2 levels, I don't want to misquote him. Are they higher? Yes, but he looks at the totality of this cycles. How is quantum think going to help us with this? I'm going to tell you how it helps because you don't just accept what the uh, mainstream media tells you about it from a from an uninformed place because you're thinking, well, wait a minute, how else can I think about this? Are there other factors? You want to be able to look from the whole. So when you hear a scientist who's talking about looking at the bigger picture, and he does say that, yes, the CO2 levels in, you know, the history, recent history of human beings is higher. However, is that going to cause a danger? So it's, it's being, quantum thinking helps because you go past just accepting whatever you heard or read in the news. And even if it sounded from, you know, a very highbrow. Which is awesome. And I like, there's like I said at the beginning, you know, there's so many things about do you quantum think that I definitely agree with. My rub is that you kind of mixed in the quantum stuff, but okay. Tell me a little bit about that. I just explained to you that, you know, it doesn't help us understand Dean Radin, who is definitely post-materialist. How can he be thinking that this transhumanist kind of agenda is a good idea because he looks at the war in Ukraine and says, aren't people just crazy? And he looks at it from a very narrow political lens and he goes, okay, what we need to do is jab everybody so we have a hive mind like ants and bees and we all kind of think alike. Uh, the, the quantum thinking, quantum mechanics, quantum physics doesn't prevent us from faulty thinking like that. And I would suggest that your quantum think, if you take quantum out of it, especially, does address it in the ways that you're talking about, which is refreshing. And it's very, again, I think people will will find value in the book and will find it rewarding if it didn't have the kind of quantum part in it there. But the second thing like about, <laughs> the second thing about like Bernardo and the sea level rise is it's like, you know, you can go the route that you said, but a more direct route is to say, you know, those people in the Netherlands, they've been pretty sensitive to that sea level for a long time. They've been measuring it very accurately for 100 years because they live below sea level. The whole country is below sea level. So they've right. measured it. It has not gone up very much. It's gone up a tiny bit in the last 100 years. The point is there's multiple ways that someone could approach those questions. None of them have a darn thing to do with quantum physics. Well, Okay, fine. But you know what? And by the way, I was referencing, like I said, that's what we're talking about. We're, when, I, when I was referencing specifically, to be precise, is not, oh, he's talking about sea rise and I'm talking about CO2. It's the, uh, what you said afterwards, which is that we need to be able to have a larger perspective on these things and to not just accept whatever somebody says or believes to be true or looking in a very narrow uh, either time frame or a narrow view of reality. Now, getting back to the quantum physics in quantum thing is that you can use it, you know, I say just think of it as metaphor because it's just easier to deal with it that way. But you have to remember this, what I was saying earlier, 
is that I saw at a very young age that how are we going to get out of this mess, Ollie? Is, you know, or, or I say, it's in my TV show with the main character, I think I landed on the wrong planet because I looked at this planet and I thought, something's wrong with this picture. We're manufacturing weapons to kill each other en masse and then, you know, calling it casualties of war. I mean, the whole thing is such a low-level consciousness that it's like, that's my whole life, you know, why I came in this incarnation, you know, let me, let me contribute to how do we get ourselves beyond this? So when I saw that people would respond to scientific principles, and I'm not saying that this is the physics, I'm saying this is how Classical mechanical scientific materialism principles have shaped our thinking. And this is how we can recondition or not recondition, but go beyond that, have that, okay, taught us to be analytical. We categorized, we organized it and all that. We needed it at that point in evolution and coming out of the agrarian culture, you know, into an industrialized. But now we're looking at what can we learn? How can we learn to think from quantum principles? My work is not about the physics. It's about looking at the principles that come from physics and how we can use them. So, for example, the principle of non-locality, as an example. If you take the idea, or let, let's just take even the idea of, let's go even somewhere else, uh, and we can get to non-locality. If you take the idea of consciousness is the primacy of life, is fundamental, and not materialism. In fact, materialism is, you know, we know it's, it's an illusion, but it's a working illusion. Okay, so if you take that, and then you look at, well, what are we learning in school, you know? Do we know how to master our minds? Are we in? you know, following what all the great masters, if you're ever in their presence, which I'm sure you have, where people say, you know, they're, I've been in the presence of several of them. You feel the energy of it. It's that, you know, Shaktipat in Sanskrit where you're getting that, um, it's not, I can't think of the word for it, but you're getting that energy of an enlightened master. Are we following in that? No, we're not. Well, why not? Well, one reason is, is that in conventional education, mind is not part of education. Mind meaning what I call the five natural faculties of mind, which have to do with consciousness. We just studied the material, the brain, brain connections, okay? So the electrical, but we're not studying the power of intent intuition how does that work subtle energy are we we are energy transformers how do we transmute transform energy how do we what about resonance that the power of sound and vibration that actually has been proven to bring things into materiality how but what about on an everyday you know on the bridge of the everyday like why should i care i asked that in my book as you know 
How does this work in my life? Why do I care about the principal resonance, which has to do with sympathetic vibration? So in science, so like, how do I apply that? What good is science if I can't apply it and appreciate it? Obviously, in many of the artifacts and, you know, um, whatever is getting invented and it's all innovative and it's fantastic, it's genius, beyond genius. But how about me in my everyday life? Okay, so if we're not learning in conventional education, kids are not learning about meditation. That's the fifth, uh, what I call the five natural faculties of mind, that meditation is not only a practice, it is a natural faculty of consciousness. So in quantum think it's the final distinction in the 21 system. It's called, I call the zero point state. Okay, so zero point energy, when energy is at rest, not always totally, as we know, and zero point state for human beings, for consciousness, when our mind is at rest, and that's when we're powerful. So how do I use the quantum principles? Like, okay, old world view, as I lovingly call it, my, I'm, I'm powerful when my mind is busy. New world view, I'm powerful when my mind is still. And you, what happens when you quantum think is you learn to make these distinctions so that you are a conscious choice. And it is a mastery practice. So it's not about, you know, control like what Dean is doing and his experimentation, trying to control your mind through outer means. It's about being in command. Or as the masters say, it's not just so you had an awareness, you had a mystical experience. I've had 10 mystical experiences. It's that you've become established in that state of heightened, awakened awareness. I apologize. I don't know why we froze. As far as whether did I hear the whole part, what I heard, which was awesome. And okay. what we can end with is what I thought was really beautiful is old worldview. I'm powerful when I'm thinking, when my mind is active. Quantum think, Diane's quantum think system. I'm powerful when my mind is still. I think that's I think that's quite profound. So tell us in the time we have left what it means for someone to engage with this. You know, you got the book, they can read the book. And then you guys, what do you do beyond that? Coaching, training, that kind of stuff? Well, my husband is mostly doing that. We do, we do, we call strategic quantum thing consulting. And he's like a master, you know, a gifted coach, the coach's coach, they call him. So he's always, he's coaching and consulting uh, companies, occasionally individuals, you know, he likes to work with very high level forward thinking uh, people and people who are high le what we call high leverage points where they're going to make a difference you know in in a, in a big big scale way and those are our clients and then i have what i love my uh master class it's called interesting what you know master my master life it's on thinkific i have to fix up the websites and my website is ancient history it's in the look of it so don't take that but, you know, I'm working on these, these infrastructures. So I have the book, I have, which is won 10 awards so far. I have the uh, Masterclass, Master Your Mind, Master Your Life, which is quantum think applied to five natural faculties of mind, 
relation, mastering relation, high quality relationships, money, your relationship with money, not mastering money, your relationship with money and living your purpose, mastering living your purpose. So I have that. We have another quantumthink.net is our audio program where you get very quick quantum thinking in the 10 uh, core quantum think distinctions is you know, I said it 25 years ago, you know, we're in a time of evolution. Everybody's saying it now, unlike any we've ever witnessed or known, which what must evolve now is human consciousness itself. And the irony of an evolution in consciousness is that it must be chosen consciously. So the, the where does evolution, it's not out there. It's that we're the collaborators, we're the co-creators of it with whatever that great mystery is of that infinite intelligence source creator whatever you want to call it some people like god uh i'll take any and all of the above is fine with me because there's something mysterious and there's something so powerful that we we cannot fathom it and that's probably why there are so many names for the aspects of god and but it doesn't the point being what who are we in the matter what is our role in the matter? And this is what it means to quantum think. Diane, it's been great. Thanks for joining me. Okay. Thank you, Alex.